Thank you for your welcome. I have missed the last three Welcome Sundays, which is why I got dragged up today, because I do quite a lot of international travel with my job, so I'm often not here. So as Steve said, last week we looked at how we need to gather together as church, and today we're looking at the Bible, and I'm hoping that I can give you a sense of adventure about the Bible. And I just want to ask, start with a question. So I want to ask you, how many of you own a copy of the Bible? I would hope that most of you have a copy. If you don't, you might need to get one. How many of you actually have your Bible with you here? You don't have to raise your hands. (laughs) How many of you have actually read it? All of it? How many of you have read just one or more books, one or more passages? I ask that as a flavor to get you started. I'm going to show a very brief film clip. This is taken from an alpha video. Um, They went out on the streets of London and they said to people, what do you think about the Bible? And this is what they said. Hopefully it will work. Have I ever read the Bible? No. I haven't read the Bible. For my own reasons, no. I've skimmed it. I have read the Bible. I kind of looked at little segments, but I've never actually attempted to read read the whole thing. <laughs> it's not advertised enough. Like I don't go to church, so the time when I do read it is when I'm in church. But other than that, like, I don't have a copy of the Bible. But, yeah, they're interesting stories, like as a guide for people how to live, not necessarily taken literally. I thought it was daunting. It's just, it's been a long time, so I don't really remember everything. Story of Adam and Eve. Yeah, Adam and Eve. Like, stories about uh, Jesus and his life. Up there. Of course, there's Genesis. I don't know the difference between, sort of, like, the different books and stuff. Um, but I do know Genesis is the first one. Or is that an argument? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So I think that's quite a reflection of how a lot of people view the Bible. Some people see it as rather dull, a kind of outdated rule book, um, full of contradictions. Maybe it's irrelevant uh, to people who are living in the 21st century. But I want to suggest that the Bible is no ordinary book. The Bible is not just one book. It's actually a collection of 66 books. It uh, has been written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years. Um, Those writers came from all walks of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, shepherds, poets, statesmen, soldiers, priests, prophets, a tax collector, a tent-making rabbi, and a doctor. So quite a lot of a mix, and most of them had never met. It was also written in three languages. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, not English. And it was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And the writings in the Bible contain many literary genres or literary types. It includes history, law, poetry, prophecy, wisdom, literature, educational discourses, parables, biography, letters. Huge, huge diversity. And yet the Bible is one. The Bible is not like another book. It was given in human words through human authors in history, but it is the word of God. It's at the same time human and divine. That's why it's called holy. We talk about the Holy Bible. And it has eternal relevance 
whether whatever your age, whatever generation you're in, whatever your culture, whatever stage in history you are living at or have lived at, the Bible is relevant. And the Bible, I would like to suggest, does not simply contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. God is the author of the Bible. I just want to, um, if we click to the next slide, this is a picture of St. Paul's Cathedral, and I want to use this as an illustration. There's a verse in Timothy that says, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's servant is thoroughly equipped for every good work. But it's that phrase, God breathed, inspired by God. The Greek word that that comes from literally means God's breath. God breathed it. Scripture was breathed out by God and it was brought into existence by the breath of the Holy Spirit of God. What the writer is saying is that the Bible is God speaking. It's at the same time 100% the work of human beings who've written it, but it's also 100% inspired by God. And this picture of St. Paul's Cathedral, the architect was Christopher Wren. He also designed the Sheldonian Theatre here in Oxford. But I couldn't find the same statistics about that one, so I'm telling you about St. Paul's. So Christopher Wren was the greatest architect of his time. And he started building St. Paul's Cathedral when he was 44 in the year 1676. And he finished it 35 years later in 1711 when he was 79 years old. So from age 44 to 79, he built St. Paul's Cathedral. He designed it, he built it, but he didn't actually lay a single stone. There were many, many other people who put the stones in place to build this amazing cathedral. Many different builders were involved, but there was one mind, one architect, one inspiration. And it's the same with the Bible. Many authors over many years, in many languages, in many places, wrote the Bible. But there is one architect and one inspiration behind it all. And that is God himself. Does that make sense? The Bible is inspired, it's trustworthy, and it's true. And that view has been held almost universally by the worldwide church for centuries all the way down the ages. The Bible is the word of God. It's inspired by God. It's God-breathed. But more than that, the Bible is unique. Now, as many of you know, I travel a lot for my work. I work for an international organization called Tear Fund. And uh, I can vividly recall a few years ago a trip to Central Asia. Now, for those of you who don't know where Central Asia is on a map of the world, think of all the countries that end in Stan. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, that bit of the world, Central Asia. And that's an area of the world where there's a lot of poverty, but there's also a lot of persecution. And Christians are regularly persecuted for their faith. There are very few churches. The ones that exist are strictly regulated by the government. And often in church services like this, you will have government informants there who will tell the government what's gone on in the service. There's a sense of fear. Bibles are difficult to come by, and prayer is illegal. Even in your own home, it is illegal to pray. And I remember this lady, she was older than me, and she told me this story. She had come across the border from an even more strict country to where I was to meet with me. 
And she was telling me how she and her husband had invited some people around to their house, another couple, and they were reading the Bible together and they were praying. And she got a text and it basically said, the secret police are on to you. You know, it was a warning. Immediately up came a floorboard. The Bible got wrapped, shoved under the floorboard, rug pulled over it. The friends were out the back door. And uh, then there was a knock on the front door and the secret police came. They searched the entire house. They didn't find her Bible. But she turned to me, because I had a Bible as a Westerner. I'd been allowed to take one in. And she said, this book is precious. Do not take it for granted. You have no idea how precious this is. And I think in the West, we often take it for granted. So I present that as a challenge. So what made this woman so passionate about the Bible? Why does she say to me it's so precious? The psalmist in Psalm 19 verse 10 says that scripture is more precious than gold. More precious than gold. And the queen at her coronation was handed a Bible with these words. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. It's precious, it's valuable, and millions of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world would die for it. It is not to be taken for granted. It's uniquely precious. It's also uniquely popular. It's consistently the international bestseller. It's the most successful literary creation that has ever been produced. Shakespeare has been translated into 60 languages, Harry Potter into 68 languages, but the Bible into more than 2,000 languages. That's 10 times more than any other book. And every year, more than 100 million copies of the Bible are sold or given away. 100 million copies. Get your head around that. But more than anything, the Bible is unique because it's powerful. One former British prime minister described it as high explosive. In the pages of the Bible, we meet the mighty, powerful God. And the power of the Bible to change the lives of nations and to change the lives of institutions and to change the lives of individuals is immense. It is not to be underestimated. So what I'm going to do today is talk through why I think we should read it. And I've got three points which I hope you will be able to remember. And I'm going to weave in the how as we talk about the why. Okay? So the first reason why I think we should read the Bible is for revelation. Hebrews 1.1 says to us, In the past, God spoke in many and various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. If we want to know who God is, we need to look to Jesus. And if we want to know Jesus, we need to read our Bibles. Jesus is revealed in the Bible. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh, that's Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. The Bible tells us about Jesus, and Jesus is God. We need to read it if we want to see God revealed. The vicar in the church where I grew up used to have this little saying about the Old Testament and the New Testament. He would say, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. I quite like that. The new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. In other words, in the Old Testament, Jesus is prophesied about, he's anticipated, he's expected as the Messiah, but he only becomes visible in the New Testament, where he's God-made flesh. So you need to read the whole Bible, and in doing so, you will encounter Jesus. But God doesn't just give revelation 
I should click through. Maybe not. Is it going to work? The next slide, yeah. God does just doesn't give revelation about himself. He also gives revelation of his plans and his purposes. If we want guidance, if we want principles for how to live, we need to read our Bible. So the psalmist here says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Step by step by step, the Bible will give us guidance. God will speak through the Bible. It's God-breathed. And remember that verse in Timothy where it said it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Those things come when we read the Bible. The Bible is our authority for how to act. It's there where we find out what's wrong in God's eyes, but also what's right. It's there that we learn how to live in a right relationship with God and with other people. It's there that we learn how to conduct our everyday lives, how to work, how to live under pressure. The Bible tells us that it's right to give and it's also right to forgive. It's full of practical advice and wisdom. How to bring up children, how to care for elderly relatives. It's immensely practical. We read the Bible so God can reveal that to us. If we don't read it, we don't have that revelation. And he doesn't give us those guidelines because he hates us. He gives us them because he loves us. Those of you with children will know that actually discipline is really important. That sort of set of boundaries and rules and freedom within them. And it's similar with the Bible. So I want to make a few suggestions for how we can read the Bible for Revelation. Hopefully the next slide will work this time. Yes. So I want to start first by saying choose a good translation. Some of you might be bored with the translation that you've got. If you're not sure where to start, I recommend the new international version. It is the most popular, the best-selling version of all. But whatever version you use, ask yourself, is it accurate? Is it just a modern readable version? Is it intended for study? You know, what sort of version will actually help you get revelation of who God is and his his plans for you? As English speakers, we, if you are a native English speaker, you are privileged because you have so many translations available to you. If you speak one of the other nearly 2,000 languages, then you have less choice. I also want to suggest that you use a devotional or a commentary. Um, As a student, I use Search the Scriptures. You're supposed to read the Bible in a year through Search the Scriptures. It took me all three of my years at university. Um, Mike Beaumont has written some books about the Bible. David Paulson's book, Understanding the Bible, which is an enormous tome, but brilliant if you can get into it. And for the last few years, this is about the fifth or sixth year I've used it, I have downloaded um, Bible in One Year from Holy Trinity Brompton, which you can have as an app or an email. Um, and you basically read a little bit of the Psalms or Proverbs, a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament. You get through the entire Bible in a year. If you've got children, there are some brilliant devotionals out there. One I would recommend, and I've bought for all my godchildren, is called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. It's aimed at kind of seven to ten-year-olds, that sort of age. You know, you can have daily Bible reading notes from IVP, UCB, Scripture Union. There are lots and lots of devotionals and commentaries out there. Find one that works for you. And I want to challenge you as well. If you've never read the Bible, make it maybe an aim to read it in a year. It would take 15 minutes every day for a year for you to read the entire thing. And I also want to say, look things up. And this is because every book in the Bible has a historical particularity. 
Um, it's being conditioned by the language, the time, and the culture in which it was written, and also by the oral history that led to it being written down in the first place. Um, and God's word was expressed in the vocabulary, in the thought patterns of those original cultures to those original authors. And so his word to us was, first of all, his word to them. And we're now far removed from them in time and often in thought. Some bits we find really hard to understand. So look things up if you are unsure. Bible Gateway online is a brilliant, brilliant website for commentaries and things like that. And when you do it uh, for Revelation, I would suggest that you say, you need to hear the word that they heard, what was said to them back then and there. But you also need to hear the same word here and now. So what's God saying at this moment? So it's both and as you read. You get revelation of how it was, but you get revelation of how it is. So read between the lines Better understand the text and try and buy or borrow a guide or look online for good resources. If you're not sure, I'm sure Steve will give you loads and loads of ideas. Um, and as you do so, ask God for revelation. So I'm going to give some examples of where God has given scriptures very specifically. One was when I was considering moving to Oxford, which was back in 2001, before 9-11. I arrived in Oxford about a week after 9-11. Sorry, a week before 9-11, I was here going, oh my goodness, my life's changed and now the world's changed. And at the time when I was moving, I was having to make a big decision because I was coming here to do a job for which I wasn't going to get paid a salary. And I was going to have to raise my own support. And I was feeling really unsure about it. And God so clearly spoke to me through a verse in Ephesians 3, verse 20. And he said, it says in that verse, God is able to do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And I held on to that. I was like, God, you have said you can do immeasurably more than anything I could ever ask or imagine. And throughout my time, I made the decision to come, and he did immeasurably more, and particularly around my income, always providing for my needs. I never had a lack. Another example was just over a decade ago. Many of you know that my brother and sister-in-law were involved in a very serious car accident, and my brother was unconscious in intensive care for about a month. And I remember getting the news. I was on a campsite in France, and the news came through. And I so clearly remember God just giving me this verse, Psalm 118, verse 18. He said, he will not die, but he will live, and he will declare what the Lord has done. And I remember going, coming back to Oxford and marching round his intensive care bed, like African style. He will not die, he will live, and he will proclaim what the Lord has done. He will not die, he will live, and he will proclaim what the Lord has done. And he's here as living testimony to that verse. Another example, um, we had various families we used to go on camping holidays with as kids. And one of them, one of the sons died suddenly, unexpectedly in his late 20s. He had, a very, he had a car accident because a driver fell asleep at the wheel on the other side of the road. And I remember being at his funeral Thanksgiving service in London and it was packed, absolutely packed. And God clearly gave through that service the verse from John 12, 24, which says, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it produces many seeds. And there was that immense sense at his funeral service that his life had been well invested and it was producing many, many seeds. That kind of revelation comes when we know our scriptures. 
we need to ask God for revelation. But it shouldn't just be about revelation. It's also about relationship. So the second reason why we should read the Bible is relationship. Because the Bible is the word of God, he uses it to tell us how much he loves us. He uses it to tell us that he wants a relationship with us. Because it's the word of God, when we read it, he speaks through it. And we have to learn to listen for his voice. And because it's the word of God, it is alive. It's not just what God said, it's what God is saying. So the more we expose ourselves to the Bible, the more it will expose itself to us. And we will hear God and we will be able to relate to God and receive his love. It's a bit like checking your email or voicemail for, ve- for messages from God. It's recorded for us to discover it. And because the Holy Spirit is present whenever a Christian is reading the Bible, it's a bit like having the author sitting next to you, unpacking the book that has been written by them. So for Christians, it's a really exciting adventure to open up your Bible. So Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, People or man does not live, this means mankind, not just men. It's, not gen- it's gender for both genders. People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's this sense that we have physical hunger. We have need of bread that can satisfy us, but we also have a spiritual hunger. We have a hunger for a relationship with God, whether or not we're aware of it. And people can't live just on bread. They have to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the Greek that this comes from, it's a continuous flow. It's like a stream that's pouring forth, kind of like God is speaking, God is speaking. St. Gregory the Great said the Bible is a love letter from God. And St. Augustine said the Bible does nothing but speak about God's love for us. God wants to be in a love relationship, and he wants that relationship to be two-way. He wants us to speak to him in prayer, but he also wants to speak to us. It's when we read the Bible that we give him permission to speak to us. And what happens when we do that is that he speaks. He doesn't just speak to Christians. He also speaks to those who are not yet Christians. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes through the word of God. For those of you who've just had conversations with people in the turning, this could be highly relevant to you. It's often as people read the Bible that they come to faith in Jesus. They're sort of like, wow. I'm rereading a book that has been on my bookshelf for a long time by a Muslim, uh, a Muslim background believer um, who wrote a book called I Dared to Call Him Father. And it is a phenomenal book where this lady in Pakistan basically picked up a Bible, and it completely changed her life. And she's become a Christian. I think she's actually died now, because the book was written in the 1970s. But she basically became a Christian, and her book is still a bestseller. I think often for people who are from Muslim backgrounds, and I don't know if any of you spoke in the turning with people who were from Muslim backgrounds, the Bible is often the key to them changing and having that understanding of relationship. But he also... The Bible doesn't just speak to those who are not yet Christians. It speaks to us as Christians. He speaks, we listen, we hear his voice, and we respond. So some example ideas of how we can do this. 
I want to suggest that we start by planning a time and a place. Don't check your phone first thing in the morning. Don't use your phone as an alarm clock. Use, a, use, use some other form to get you out of bed in the morning. And may your Bible be one of the first things you look at. Chris's word in the worship this morning was about coming closer. This is about coming closer. Time is our most valuable possession. And to read the Bible, we need to set aside time. And we need to form a regular pattern a little bit every day. Consistency matters. It takes six weeks to form a habit. Could you in the next six weeks form a habit of setting aside time and place to read the Bible? Um, And the place, Jesus, it says in Scripture, went off to a solitary place very early in the morning, and there he prayed. Now, for me personally, I am a morning person. I love mornings. It works for me. If you are the sort of person who needs coffee and absolutely doesn't communicate with anyone before midday, you might need to find a different time of the day. It doesn't really matter what time of day, but make it regular, make it consistent. Make a plan. Do you want to work through a book? Do you want to work through a theme? If you're not sure where to start, I suggest you start with the Gospel of John. And I wasn't sure whether to do this, but I'm going to do a little illustration. (laughs) You've got two chairs here, and they're kind of like, you know, face to face. It's a bit like God just saying... I'm here. Are you going to come? And for some of us, we're really scared. We're like, you know, thinking God's going to be like, wow, I haven't seen you for a while. It's about time you turned up. You know, that kind of thing. And actually, God is there and he's got the Bible and he's saying, come to me. Talk to me. Spend time with me. I will speak to you if you give me time. And we can be here But most of us are like this. We're like running, 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 running. Sorry, Lord, haven't really got time. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Everything's got to keep going. And he's like, come to me. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. High five. I'm just going to carry on. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? We've all done it. And he's like, come to me, sit down and give me just five minutes. And then when we sit... We have our Bible open, everything, imagine this is a table, everything's there on the table, and he's able to tell us that he loves us, he's able to tell us he wants to be in relationship with us, he's able to speak to us and we can hear. You've got to give him that time and that place. I also want to suggest that we start with the basics of praying and asking questions. Pray before you read. Samuel said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he was a child when he said that. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Ask God to reveal himself. Ask him to answer the questions you're finding tough. Ask him to show you things in the passage, especially if you've been a Christian a long time and read that passage multiple times before. And as you read the passage, ask yourself questions. What does it say? What does it mean? How does this apply? And what is God saying? And I'd also suggest try reading it out loud, even if you're on your own. The Bible was written in oral cultures, verbal cultures. It's designed to be read out loud. It's not meant to be just read in our heads. Read it out loud. And maybe think about listening to a recording. The actor David Suchet has got a brilliant, brilliant recording that you can get. In fact, if you use the HTV app, 
the Bible in One Year app, you get his recording if you choose to listen to it rather than read it. You know, there are other ways to do this. And I'd also suggest taking notes. So I keep a track record of when I feel God speaking to me, and then I'm able to look back and see there's a pattern there. You've been saying that six times in the last six months, and I've forgotten. Take notes. So let me share some examples of when we read the Bible for relationship. The first is from my dad, who when he was 60, he's now in his late 70s, but when he was 60, he suddenly and unexpectedly had a stroke. He was then in hospital in Reading for about four or five months, having very intensive physio and OT. And at one point during that time, one of the consultants said to him, you're never going to write again, because it had affected his right side and he was right-handed. And my dad's an avid reader and an avid writer, and he found it really, really upsetting. And that day, uh, my mum brought in three different letters and cards, and as he opened them, all of them gave him this verse from Isaiah 41, verse 13, that says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. And my dad just burst into tears. (laughs) Having a stroke does make you more emotional anyway, but he just burst into tears and he said, Lord, I hold to this. You are saying the exact opposite of this consultant, but I'm going to trust what you say because I know that you love me. And he has gone on and he's got his, he's got his, uh, about 80%, 90% back of his movement. And he was able to write again, is able to write again. And that doctor got it wrong because God declared differently. And I want to give another example. I recently was praying for a Muslim background believer who had come to Christ. And as I was praying for him, I had this image of the most extravagant ice cream sundae. It was absolutely bonkers. You think, what's the Bible got to say about ice cream? And it was one of those kind of lavish dishes that you only give your kids on real special treats, covered in sprinkles and flakes and you name it. And I was like, God. And I just felt the Lord just drop into my mind this verse from 1 John 3 verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And it was that sense, I I said it to him and he just burst into tears. Because for Muslim background believers, it's really hard to get their head around the fact that God is their father. They don't believe that God had a son and they don't believe that God is their father. It was like a revelation to him. God was saying, I love you and I love you as a father. And it's lavish love. And he spoke it through a scripture. So the second reason why we should read the Bible is relationship. But it's not just for revelation, it's not just for relationship, it's also for renewal. This is the third one, renewal. In Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Reading the Bible renews your mind. Reading the Bible renews your thoughts. It renews your heart attitudes. It renews your behavior. It renews your choices. It protects you from deceit and delusion. And it helps you face full-on temptation and sin. It acts as a kind of plumb line, a measuring line. Are these things in line with the word of God? Hebrews 4.12 says... The word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates 
even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And a sword, if you think about the armor, a sword is a very, very proactive piece of armor. You have to be able to know it to use it. It's not a defensive piece, it's an active piece. You need to know your scripture. And as we mature in our faith, we learn to discern, is this of God, is this of the enemy, or is this just me? You've got to renew your thinking in line with scripture to know the difference, to have that discernment. And we can only do it when we know our Bible. We can only distinguish truth from error when we know our Bible. Prayerfully reading the scriptures is the only real defense against being misled. I'll say that again. Prayerfully reading the scriptures is the only real defense against being misled. Otherwise, where are you getting your guidance from? Is it your social media feed? Is it the just general news that's often so depressing? Are your lives being dictated by circumstances and by what is going on around you, here or wider? Or are they being determined by what God says in Scripture? Renew your mind by reading Scripture. And if you think about Jesus in Matthew 4, Satan led him into the desert and he was tempted. I'm not going to read that Scripture, but you can look it up later if you want. How did Jesus handle it? He handled it by quoting Scripture. Satan tempted him, and his response was, it is written. The absolute opposite. Satan came again, and he said, temptation. And Jesus said, no, it is written. He knew those verses by heart. He'd committed them to memory, so that when the time came, he could pull out his sword and say, no, it's written. Am I making sense? When we read the Bible, it protects us against temptation and enables us to say, It is written. And it also helps us get rid of sin. So Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word inside me that I might not sin against you. And when it comes to learning from sin, it's a terribly hard lesson. But if you've read your Bible and you've read read the stories of some of your Bible characters, you can learn from them instead and save yourself the angst. You know, you think about David in his defeat of Goliath. He teaches us that God is greater than anything he asks us to face. But then he also gave into the temptation to commit adultery with Bathsheba, which just revealed the long-lasting consequences of one moment's sinful pleasure. Learn from the example in the Bible. So how then can we read the Bible for renewal? Here are some suggestions. I'd start by saying meditate on the scripture, and this is not the same as mindfulness. It is not the same as Eastern religion meditation where you empty your mind. This is about meditating intentionally on scripture, thinking deeply about what God said and what God is saying through the passage that you're reading. If you're not sure where to start, I suggest you start with one of the Psalms. You know, there's, a, there's an ancient Benedictine practice where you can read out loud and then reread and then reread again the same maybe set of verses or passage. And as you do it, God speaks. It's like he kind of like, whoa, where did that come from? So start maybe with one of the Psalms, meditate. And then I want to say a second thing, commit scripture to memory. For some of us, this is easier than others. If you've got kids, they're going to be brilliant at this. Do it with them. Learn their memory verse with them. 
Um, I grew up in a Baptist church until I was 11, where we had to do scripture exams, and I had to learn entire chunks by heart. Um, so for me, from childhood, I've had lots and lots of scripture imbibed. And I know that's the exception rather than the norm. Um, but think about our Muslim friends where their children go to Quran school after normal school to learn the Quran by heart. Imagine what would happen if we sent our kids to Bible school and they learned the Bible by heart. It would be amazing. That was a sidetrack. <laughs> if you have ever learned the lyrics of a song, be it a worship song or a pop song, you can learn a scripture. You can do it. You can do it. Find a verse that speaks something into your life right now. Start with a short one. Write it down. Say it out loud. Say it over and over out loud. Put it on post-it notes. Stick it everywhere you're going to see it. Stick it in the bathroom cabinet. Stick it on your steering wheel. Stick it on the fridge. Stick it in your lunchbox. Stick it in your school textbook, your university textbook, wherever you are going to see it. Make it your screen save. Make it your password for your email account. You know, do whatever it takes to memorize a verse. You know, imagine what that would do. Jesus was only able to withstand Satan because he could say, it is written. If we can't say that, we're going to struggle when we face temptation because we won't know to be able to say, it is written. Use music if that's easier. There's some amazing songs and hymns, and I'm sure Lois and Chris can help if we get stuck, that are lifted straight from Scripture. Think about the Brenton Brown one, Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. That's lifted straight from Isaiah 40. Think about the Matt Redmond one, Blessed be your name. That's lifted straight from the beginning of Job. So as you do it, renew your mind. And the final thing is, I want to say, study with others. If you're married, you could maybe do this with your husband or your wife. If you're in students, you know, find some friends. Study with a group of people so that they can, first of all, keep you motivated and accountable, but also so that they, you can discuss it and debate it. And if you get stuck, come to one of the leaders and say, we were wrestling with this passage. What does it really mean? And I want to give some examples. One is, um, I was baptized as a teenager. And on my baptism, I was given a Bible. Not this very well-worn one, but another one. Of 2 Timothy um, 1, verse 7, that says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. And any time that I feel fearful, I draw that to mind. I'm like, nope, I am not going to be fearful, because God has not given me a spirit of fear but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And I did this recently with a colleague. I've just come back from Nepal about two weeks ago, and she lost her passport and went into this complete panic of like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get out of the country again at the end? Where is it? And she was feeling really, really fearful. And I prayed over her, and I just said, in the name of Jesus, God, you know where this passport is. We ask that you would reveal it, and I just break off any spirit of fear now and say, give Janie power, love, and sound mind. And as we prayed, she had recollection that she may have left it at the currency exchange desk at the airport. And sure enough, when we went back there, they'd found it and they'd handed it into the tourism police. And we went to the tourism police and it, she was reunited with her passport. And she just said, I felt this immense sense of peace. I didn't need to fear. God knew where my passport was. And another example was again... Last week, I was praying with a man, with some friends, with a man who'd only become a Christian about six weeks ago, and he's had a very troubled background. And since his conversion, he has been struggling to sleep. And um, as we were praying, I just felt 
God give me the scripture, John 10, 10, which says that Jesus comes to bring life and life in its fullness, but the thief just comes to steal and kill and destroy. And I felt that he, was, he had life through his conversion, but it wasn't fullness of life. And so I prayed this over him, and I was just like, in the name of Jesus, I declare fullness of life over you and over your sleep. And I say no more to the enemy of stealing and killing and destroying his sleep. In Jesus' name, we just pray for protection over his sleep. And the following day, he told us that he slept like a baby for the first time in years. And again, God used a scripture. But we have to know our scripture for him to use it. So the third reason that we should read the Bible is renewal. So as we come to a conclusion, I want to ask you the same question I asked you at the beginning. Most of you said you had a Bible. If you were one of the ones who doesn't have a Bible, the first thing you need to do is get one. For those of you who have a Bible, and those of you who are going to get one, will you read it? So that if I was to say, have you ever read the Bible, you can say yes. And if I was to say, have you ever read the whole Bible, over the course of time, you can say yes. And when you think about the Bible, you think of it as an adventure, an adventure with God. You don't just think, oh my goodness, how am I supposed to start? And I want to ask, do you want more of God's revelation? Do you want to read the scriptures and find God revealing himself, his purposes, his plans, his guidance? Do you need God to just reveal the state of your own heart and your own mind towards him and his Bible? Perhaps you need to encounter Jesus afresh. Do you want a closer relationship with God? So revelation, but also relationship. Maybe you need to know afresh he loves you. You need a fresh touch. Or do you want renewal? Perhaps you're aware of temptation and sin. You know that you need to memorize scripture. I would say, do it. Commit. If you've answered yes, I'm not sure whether we're going to get people to pray in pairs. No? Okay. Let me just pray as we finish on this last slide. This is a verse from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Lord, I ask that you would bless us as we delight in your word, in your law, and make us like a tree planted by streams of water. In Jesus' name.